0: You're listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast.
1: Hold on just a minute. I think we got a Spain and Fitz with Spain and Fitz. Could it be? Could it be on a Monday? I am back from a week away at the ESPNW Summit. World Series is over. Uh, somebody won. Who Who knows? Uh, Dusty Baker did. Other than that, can't recall. And we are back here at Spain and Fitz, ESPN Radio, ESPN app, Sirius XM channel 80. ESPN Radio is presented by Progressive Insurance. Lots to get to because we have been apart for quite some time. But, of course, it's Monday Night Football. Ravens-Saints tonight, 8.15 p.m. Eastern on ESPN. We're going to get into breaking down that matchup, Fitz. They're a weird – I mean, we've seen a lot of weird things this NFL season, but uh, the Ravens being as inconsistent as they've been and the Saints just being – confusing in every way this is this is a surprisingly intriguing matchup
2: no the saints are dominant like the the rams were back in the that's the only thing i could tell myself i'm still reeling after you know two weeks ago the saints lost and now there's like this this football thing sounds really fun i should try watching it sometime (laughs) i I don't know now you're right i I think these are two teams that a lot of people had high expectations for coming into the season you and i did not have high expectations for the saints nope uh, but we did have at least reasonable expectations For the Ravens, and I thought coming into the year, the fact that they lost so many starting uh, games to injury last year would really normalize itself. We'd see a uh, rebirth of exactly how dominant they could be. And instead, to your point, they've been wildly inconsistent in a division that looks like it's still up for grabs, making tonight's game even more important.
1: The enthusiasm around the Saints, too, seems to be in part because of, no offense to you, but that dominant performance against the the Raiders last week and... That doesn't tell me much. I'm not watching that and then thinking, oh, the Saints are, are are now a team that I think can contend. The Raiders are lost. That win over the Raiders means nothing to me when it comes to figuring out exactly who the Saints are.
2: Yeah, Jeff Schwartz, a few weeks ago, was tweeting, you know, just his favorite memories of watching the Chiefs beat the Raiders. And one of his favorite memories was a time where the, the Chiefs ran the same Screenplay six different times in the game, and it resulted in like four touchdowns. Oh. That's what I felt like last Sunday watching Alvin Kamara run the same. Like anybody that's ever played Madden knows you'll look through your playbook for the halfback angle thing, where yeah. you know the, it was that play over and over and over again, and you got like slow linebackers just watching him run right yeah. by. So yeah, yeah, I'm with you. I don't think we learned anything about the Saints last week. What we now know, especially after more evidence from yesterday, we learned more about the Raiders than the Saints in that matchup. I, I I think the Saints have a long way to go. I think the Ravens. Ravens should and do have high expectations that should be met right now. When you have an MVP caliber quarterback, you should constantly be in the Super Bowl conversation.
1: I completely agree. Monday Night Football tonight, Ravens sitting at 5-3, and three, taking on the Saints at 3-5. and five. We'll get into that with a full preview a little later in the show, but we have breaking NFL news today as the Colts have fired Frank Reich. Now, before we get to his replacement, Fitz, how did you feel about the decision um in the middle of the season about halfway through to let go of frank reich Uh,
2: the hard part here is i feel like i've been saying on this show for the last couple of months look frank reich's got to be on the hot seat right like uh, when you make as many mistakes at the quarterback position i think this stat has been a little bit twisted when they talk about the seven different quarterbacks that were quarterbacks starting under frank reich You can make that sound like all of a sudden the organization just had a problem, but Frank Reich was aggressive in the acquisition of many of those quarterbacks. So to me, what that says is he was repeatedly wrong and you don't get to be wrong in that position over and over Mm -hmm. and over again and keep your job. I So I'm not surprised he's no longer the coach. I am a little surprised that it happened right now just because it leaves them in a bit of turmoil with the rest of their coaching staff.
1: I completely agree. Uh, It does seem obvious after a a brutal 26-3 loss to the Patriots, their third straight L, expectations being as high as they were and the results being so terrible. But it felt like when they fired offensive coordinator Marcus Brady last week, they were buying Reich more time, right? Let's throw out some sacrificial lambs, to see if we can blame them or point the finger and give Reich a little more time. And and apparently one week was all they got. Um, This (laughs) is, you know, and, and to your point, what that ends up doing is putting the new interim head coach in a position of having no play callers. There is not a person on this staff who has called NFL plays before. Now the interim head coach could have been someone who has, there are several options on that staff that could have been elevated. Instead, they go for Jeff Saturday, six-time Pro Bowl center, obviously a big part of the Colts' history. Currently an analyst here with us at ESPN, extremely well-liked, extremely charismatic guy, has consulted for the team and has coached at the high school level for three seasons. But that's a surprising higher fits when you've got no one who's called plays before and you've got a guy who has never been a head coach outside of the collegiate level Taking over at the NFL.
2: I I think for me, and and I I always want to be clear on my bias, uh, so that anybody knows. Jeff Jeff is a buddy, uh, so. When I, got, when I saw the news, I immediately thought for my friend, wow, this is incredible. I I, I want to be really transparent with that. I think it's yeah, important. Yeah, excitement for him as a person,
1: uh, yeah. absolutely. And I'm seeing it across but, the board from ESPN
2: folks. But to the other side of it, to your point, and this is where things get interesting. So often when you hire an interim coach, you got to figure out what you're trying to do. And so last year when the Raiders elevated Rich Basaccia from special teams coach to their head coach uh, interim on an interim basis, part of the reason they justified that was – They didn't want to disrupt the offense and the defense, which were trying to figure things out on their own. That ended up working. My first mindset was the same. Hey, if everything's just a wild Tasmanian devil, you know what uh, uh, cluster, then is there a moment where you have to turn around and say, okay, let's bring somebody in that can just hold down the fort while everybody else figures it out and we're not negatively impacting the entire organization. That's my first thought, but I also think that, in all fairness, I'm giving it a lot of benefit of the
1: doubt. Right. Yeah. Listen, it's not that I don't agree with the idea that maybe you want to bring in a clean slate so that when the season starts, you haven't uh, caught up another potential coach in the mess that is this year. But what I would think the best move right now would be is to bring in someone with head coaching experience. You could elevate John Fox, who's on that roster, have somebody who knows what they're doing in a day-to-day. will step right in versus you're going to teach Jeff Saturday how to be a coach at the at, at the NFL level while trying to pick up the pieces of a staff that you've already decimated. And I, I had some questions about the Rooney rule as well. According to the NFL, the rule does not apply to an interim head coach during the season. Right. It does at the conclusion. So the club would have to fulfill the rule before they were able to hire a full-time coach. I think that's one of the things that stands out here, Fitz. It's not anything against Saturday. It's maybe a criticism of a strange decision to bring in someone with really no head coaching experience instead of any number of people who could step in and have done this before but also the number of excuses that we hear about why coaches of color are not yet ready and the number of times we see white coaches who skip over all those barriers and all those pieces of experience that we are told are required when someone says you know it makes sense to expect a certain level of experience but then they're also the same person who defends uh, arguments against a, a coach who's never coached at the college level, who's never coached at the NFL level, immediately getting elevated into a head coach position. That's where I have an issue. And that's not against Jeff Saturday. It's a system.
2: Right. And I think it speaks to a paranoid owner, too. I mean, frankly, you know, you, you look at what Jim Irsay's doing is bringing somebody in that he's a good buddy with, that he really trusts. Yeah. And, and that, to me makes me wonder if the right people are in the organization to sit there and look at him and say, hey, not sure this is the best idea. Uh, short-term, long-term, two different conversations. But I will say I saw this tweet right before we started from Zach Kiefer, who covers the Colts in the NFL for the Athletic. And his tweet a few hours ago was, from what I've heard, wouldn't be stunned if this is more of an audition for Jeff Saturday than your typical interim role, as in Colts want to see if he could be the full-time answer at head coach. Why else go outside the building with other qualified candidates inside? I, if that's the case, then this becomes just the wild, wild west to me. If, if your owner's putting right. somebody in with no experience, it's their buddy because they, they just want to see how it goes. I just This doesn't feel like it plays out well, well for the Colts.
1: Yeah, I mean, you look at Gus Bradley and John Fox and the kind of experience that they have. Yeah. I mean, John Fox is a Super Bowl-winning coach, head coach. Gus Bradley's been a coordinator at a number of different stops. Uh, whether or not you think that they're a guy that you would want to take over – there is something to be said for the continuity and at least um, the the kind of respect level that you would have for someone taking over a situation this dire who has that kind of experience. Uh, Jeff Saturday's eminently likable, and man, would I like to see if that's the the intent there to to give him an audition, a role that isn't the head coaching role right away it's just hard to swallow when you look around at a league full of really experienced coordinators and lower level coaches that are never going to get that opportunity, but, uh, that's the system. And that's why, that's why there's so much complaint about it. Be a part of Spain and Fitz nation on the Dr. Pepper Twitter feed. You can tweet us at Spain and Fitz at Sarah Spain at Jason Fitz. I like the question that we saw from our buddy, Scott Hansen from the red zone channel. Uh, what would be the equivalent for your favorite team? as the Jeff Saturday interim head coach hire. Wouldn't even necessarily have to be football. We can go any sport. What would the Jeff Saturday hire equivalent be for your favorite team? Hit us up on the Dr. Pepper Twitter feed. ESPN Nations presented by Dr. Pepper. It ain't college football season without the delicious taste of an ice cold Dr. Pepper the one fans deserve. Coming up, some shocking L's and big W's yesterday in the NFL. We'll get to the biggest ones
0: next. Spain and Fitz, the podcast.
1: I want you to remember back before the season started when we had one of our favorite guests, Aaron Schatz on the show from Football Outsiders, and he told us this was going to be a strange year in the NFL based on their prediction models. There was going to be a ton of parity. The worst teams weren't going to be all that bad. Might be a couple good teams, but there was going to be a lot in the middle. And every week since, we have seen that play out, and this week was no different. Some super weird and devastating losses and some surprising and illuminating wins in the nfl It's spain and Fitz, sarah spain jason fitz espn radio espn app sirius xm channel 80 let's just get hours out of the way i don't think your raiders loss was shocking or elucidating i think we're just like sitting in that should they tank or do i want to watch any more wins spot right Uh,
2: yeah no that the raiders are in a really curious spot for the rest of the year but they do become the first team to lose three times when they uh, when they were up by 17 points yeah. in the game uh, three Ugh. different times so uh, wild to be six losses and three of them were games that I watched them with three score leads uh, but you know you're mm-hmm. right uh, the the future now becomes the question every week will be when does Jared Stidham get the start so they can just uh, put Derek Carr in bubble wrap until they trade him
1: right uh, on my end another uh, a record uh, a little better than the one you just said for your team Justin Fields. Uh, breaking the record for a quarterback, uh, rushing yards in a game, 178 yards, Uh, breaking Michael Vick's record, uh, fifth quarterback to eclipse 150 yards in a regular season game. Um, He's rushed more than a handful of lead rushers on a bunch of teams so far. And to be fair, the Bears probably should have won that game if there had been a couple more calls. But that doesn't matter. The win-loss record is not where the progress is decided. I think a lot of good things are for the Bears. So that loss to the Dolphins, we made our predictions beforehand. Not a, one of the people in my eight or nine person group had the Bears losing. That came by three points only and putting up 32. So some progress being made on that side. Let's get to the truly shocking Ls. And I guess we shouldn't be shocked anymore, Fitz, but the Packers are so bad that they are now taking Ls to the Lions. A Lions team that's not even as good as we anticipated based on preseason and camp, the Lions team that has the worst defense in the league, and the Packers put up nine points. Here's Aaron Rodgers asking after the game if he regrets not retiring.
0: You kicked around pot, at least possibly retiring in the offseason, is that right? Um, do you at all regret not retiring? I mean, he's just third times outside looking
2: in, you look almost miserable on the field sometimes. I think that's an exaggeration, Pete. um, Frustration and miserability are two different emotions. So um, when I decided to come back, it was all in and and I don't make decisions and then, you know, hindsight 2020, you know, have regrets about uh, big decisions like that. So I was all in and uh, this is uh, a lot of life lessons, for sure, this year. Um, but luckily, it's not over. There's still a lot of games left. We'll be counted out, probably by many. And we'll see how we respond.
1: Okay, so we're going with we'll see how we respond. There. Here's what it was on October 13th.
2: Well, I think I'm playing as well as uh, as well as I can at times. Uh, I expect that typical stretch coming up at some point where we get really hot. Hopefully, it starts this week. But I think that's
1: right around the corner okay so first of all miserability not a word but i needed your expertise on that that was question maybe, number one m- maybe should we won after watching the packers this season miserability not a word suddenly backing off his claims i think right before the bills game it was that they were going to get exposed on national television uh, that did not happen what do you make of this packers team that has won a game less recently than the brewers that didn't even make the playoffs I, and the baseball season's over.
2: I mean, this thing is just, it, it's awful. And the fact that he threw three interceptions to three rookies on a team that, you know, we were questioning whether or not Dan Campbell was even going to make it through the season at one point. And now you have this sort of a loss. It, you know, it, it's funny because he mentions frustration. And I'm not even trolling Aaron Rodgers here. I want somebody to look at him on the field and say, Relax, R E L A X, because mm. his body language is just. It's awful, and, and you've just got a team that doesn't look like they're fighting for each other, that doesn't look like they're playing with each other, that doesn't look like they have any idea who's going where, when. I, I said to you as we came into the season, I wasn't sure if we'd seen enough to really know how good a coach Matt LaFleur is. I'm looking squarely at him also in this process and saying, hey, you better find a message that brings your guys together, because right now it feels like they're fighting each other instead of fighting for mm-hmm. each other.
1: Yeah, and the question is, what does this do for his decision-making moving forward about being on the team, about playing, uh, all of that? it It's an absolute mess in Green Bay. Speaking of a mess, uh, Josh Allen looked like one in the Bills' loss to the Jets. This is a guy who has been an MVP candidate and has done incredible things this season, but even he had to say after the game that that offense uh, was struggling in part because of him.
2: Yeah, I mean, it's tough to win in this league.
1: Um,
2: You're playing a good team, and your quarterback plays like Made some bad decisions tonight. Really cost our team. A um, lot to learn from. A lot to grow from. But that's not that's not the uh, standard we hold ourselves to. That's not the ball that we play. Um, so, lot to look at. Lots to learn from.
1: Fitz, I don't want to take away credit from the Jets who did their thing. But a lot of those mistakes from Allen were indefensible, and it was hard for me to look at this game and say definitively this is a, a Jets win so much as it was also a bill's loss. They set themselves up to take the L here.
2: You know what I loved about the way that Josh Allen approached that afterwards, though, was so much self-awareness. And, Mm -hmm. you know, for somebody that uh, had to write colleges all over the country to find one that would take him, for somebody that we spent the first couple of years on ESPN questioning whether or not, as a network, whether or not he was even going to be a viable starter because of his completion percentage and you don't get more accurate, all of these breakdowns. It's amazing to me to see someone that's so self-secure in exactly mm-hmm. who they are, capable of being that self-aware after a terrible football game. That's mm-hmm. not who Josh Allen is, but, but the way he played. But, man, the way he handled it afterwards is who Josh Allen is, and that's part of why I think the Bills will bounce back and be just fine. He's He's just got that it factor in the way he handles it, and he's so confident in himself. You can just feel it.
1: That's such a great point because oftentimes you'll hear that from guys who have always been front runners and have always been great right. who can have a bad day and be like, yeah, I was just bad today. You don't often hear it from a guy who maybe has to defend against doubt and has for most of his career. So that's leadership, honestly. Um, and, I again, I'm not taking away from the Jets. Six and three, this is a team that ever since Robert Salas said he's keeping receipts – uh, they've had a lot of them to capture, uh, the, the, uh I'm, I'm going to give the Jets credit because they're finding ways to win despite a quarterback that I don't have a lot of faith in who just is not making the big mistake to throw the game away.
2: I'm, I'm also going to give Jets fans this much. Like, I don't know how good the Jets are this year. I know their young core looks great. And that means they, they are, they're positioned, even if they don't have their quarterback, they're positioned to be a good team for the next several years. Cause they have a young core you can buy into.
1: And finally, Tom Brady had this to say about the Bucks getting a big W.
2: That was awesome. <laughs> that was f***ing awesome.
1: Yeah. That guy, oh. just, that guy needed a win. You know, that Things did. have been rough for him lately. I know that's weird to hear about Tom Brady, but that guy needed a win. He felt good there. All right, coming up with Election Day tomorrow, every NBA team is in action tonight. We'll talk about it next.
0: Spain and Fitz, the podcast.
2: Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, SiriusXM XM, Channel 80. Sarah Spade and Jason Fitz represented presented by Progressive Insurance. Hit us up on the Dr. Pepper Twitter feed at Spain and Fitz, at Sarah Spain, at Jason Fitz. We're asking you guys out there right now. You know, and Scott Hansen had this great question. We've stolen it from him. We're the first to admit that. Who'd be the Jeff Saturday hire of your favorite team from any sport? You guys can chime in and we'll get you some of those responses as the day goes on, uh, night goes on. But in the meantime, We'll get back to Monday Night Football. We've got NBA action to break down with ESPN NBA analyst Tim Legler joining us on the show. Legs, always appreciate you, and I know that it's like a contractual obligation for this network to talk about drama. We'll do that in a minute, but I want to start with actual basketball for a second. What team right now, when you sit down to watch, what team are you the most excited from a basketball analyst standpoint to say, that's the team playing great ball that I want to see?
0: I think for me right now, the team that's become one of the most entertaining teams in the Eastern Conference is Cleveland. Um, you know, I, I look at what they did a year ago, they were so intriguing because they played three seven-footers at the same time, and it was like not what new wave basketball looks like, right? After the league's getting smaller, and they went and played three seven-footers together last year in their starting lineup, and then they had a couple dynamic guards as well, and Darius Garland became a first-time All-Star, and they were a good story. Now they've turned into a really good team by adding Donovan Mitchell to the mix. Um, and so now they've got that explosive home run hitter that they need at the end of games. That's not coming from your point guard position. So I just like the way they play with bounce and chemistry. Um, I'm a big fan of J.B. Bickerstaff. Um, he just – he's very intelligent, very bright guy. He was part – actually the Washington organization when I was a player when Wes was, was in the front office, his dad – um, I'm, I'm sorry, but Bernie was, uh, Bernie Bickerstaff was in Washington. And I played for him, and, and J.B. was around a lot, and he knew he was just going to be a magnet for the game. And so to get the opportunity now to be a head coach, and he's just so bright. He manages those guys so well. Super fun to watch because they do have the, the mixture of guards and bigs. So I think for me right now, I've been most intrigued here at the start of the year by Cleveland. Now, look, I don't know if they've got the sustainability – to get to a conference final or a final, let's, let's, let's revisit that in a couple of months. Because I still think Milwaukee and Boston are probably the cream of the crop in the East. But there's no doubt you have to take this team seriously now.
1: Spain and Fitz, we're talking to Tim Legler about the NBA. Legs, how much concern do you have for Kawhi Leonard? This is a guy who missed seven straight already. There is no time frame for his return. And he already missed all of last season rehabbing that ACL. It, it just it feels ominous. Are you worried?
0: Oh, absolutely. How can you not be when you just look at the track record, you know, going all the way back to, you do look look even early in his career. You go back to the first four years of Kawhi Leonard's career before we really talked about any injuries with him. The most games he played in any one year in the first four years of his career was 66 games. So then it was in the low seventies and a couple years of San Antonio, but ever since that major injury, 2017, 18, you know, he played nine games that year, 60. you know in Toronto, the year they won a championship. 57 for the Clippers, 52. Now he comes back, plays two games and you know misses an entire year and then plays two games and he's out again. You just wonder if all of that time off, it just does something to your body as an athlete that when you come back and you try to go full throttle, it's just so difficult to be able to play and not feel, you know, continuing issues. And I think that's what he's going to deal with probably the rest of his career. And I, I hope this isn't something that really derails it, you know, at this point. Hopefully he has some stretch of basketball left in him where he's out there for a consistent time or makes another playoff run with the Clippers or somebody else because the league misses him. He's such a great player. But, I, yes, I'm very concerned after all the time off that he's had to come back and still have – You know, these issues pretty much immediately, really bad sign for the Clippers. And and my heart goes out to him because I do think Kawhi Leonard loves to play. And he just physically has not been able to do it.
2: When there's no timetable for a player like that to return, what do the Clippers do with their philosophy? How does it change for now versus knowing that they may at some point get him back in and need to work him back in?
0: Yeah, look, I, I know I played on teams in the league before where you had a star player that was was out and you didn't know when he was coming back and it's definitely a situation where every day you come into the locker room you see the guy and you're you know it 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 gives you a different sense of of hope i think down the road and and you're always sort of optimistic you're going to see him again but at the same time, you know, it lingers over the organization. Once you know the guy's going to be out for a while, I do feel like everybody goes into a different mindset role players get expanded roles and I think guys are comfortable with that and some guys are going to relish that opportunity if you know Kawhi Leonard's not going to be there so I think it's almost like a shift takes place that's better for the team once you know a guy's going to be out for a while than not knowing day to day and if he does come back is it going to be for another couple of games and he's back out again you know it mm-hmm. It's, it's a difficult thing for the team to adjust to, but I do think there will be guys now that are going to get extended minutes. They're going to get more opportunities to touch the ball, to shoot the ball, to have an impact, and and there are guys that are going to take advantage of those opportunities. And I think in some ways, if you think he's out for a while, it's easier to move forward, honestly, rather than wondering day after day after day right. and getting and question out. after question when he's going to play.
1: Tim Legler's with us. You can follow him at Legs ESPN here on Spain and Fitz, talking NBA uh, I guess I'm I'm doing panic meter with you tonight because I want to ask you the panic situation for the Warriors, first defending champion to start a season 0 six on the road, trying to stay positive about it. What are you seeing from this team early on, and does it have you worried?
0: Well, I'm not ready to go into oh, uh, you know what, it was a nice run, and I guess this is the end of it. We're not going to see the Warriors, you know, play that championship caliber basketball again. I'm I'm not even close to that. I th- I picked them to repeat before the season and we're 10 games in for them, certainly I didn't expect it to start this way. And what has surprised me the most is how bad they have been defensively. I mean, they can't guard a soul. And and it's happening against bad teams late in games when they're winnable games. Those are the types of moments when a team like Golden State should be able to clamp down and make it difficult for a team for three minutes to get quality shots, and then Golden State you know, gets it done because of their firepower. They can't stop these teams late when they need one. There's been a lot of miscommunications, um, a lot of, of fouling at inopportune times, and then they're turning the ball over when they need to get a quality shot in possession. So I think it's the way they've gone about it has surprised me, more so even than the record, because I knew there'd be hangover from winning a championship, and they would not have their foot on the gas right out of the gate. Here's what has to happen, and Steve Kerr alluded to it. Jonathan Kamek, I think it starts there. They're saying now he's going to go ahead and get regular rotational minutes. I think he's a breakthrough player waiting to happen in this league. I think he's got all-star potential. And for whatever reason, it hasn't happened. I think they don't think he's got consistent effort or he's kind of inconsistent with his concentration level. That has to change. They need his raw athleticism. He can do things no one else in their roster can do physically. And he needs to get minutes. He's only played 100 minutes all season. I thought potentially this was the year he gets 15, 16 points a game. That might not happen, but Steve Kerr has said they're now going to go forward with with Kaminga, and these young players have to put more of an imprint on this team right now. Give them some juice and some legs, and also listen, they got to get home, get some home cooking, get a winning streak going. And I think I'd be shocked if by you know Thanksgiving, early December. We're not having a completely different narrative on the Golden State Warriors.
2: Yeah, like, how do you make, for an organization that's won as many championships and players that have won as many championships as they have there, how do you make a group of guys that know it all matters in June give a damn about basketball in November?
0: Hardest thing, man, we you've been through it this long. I mean, you, you look at how long they've kept this thing together. Six finals appearances, four titles, you know, and then a, just a ton of injuries and roster turnover around their core. drama phone in there as well with with Katie and Draymond and then Draymond and Jordan Poole so they've had other stuff to deal with as well and then you're going to come out of an 82 game season and you're supposed to act like these games in the beginning of the season matter these guys are hurt by losing and I can tell by their reaction and he looked very very frustrated but it's also different uh this time of year for a team like this it's one thing to get frustrated it's another thing to be able to find the juice that you need right now in the moment to turn that around that will happen as they get further into the season. But I do think, you know, coming now 0-6 on the road, I think coming off this road trip with some embarrassing losses to teams that are going to be in the lottery, I think now you're going to start to see a little bit of chirp, chirping in that locker room amongst each other where that competitive nature and that pride is going to kick in. It's almost like they're saying enough's enough. You know, this is embarrassing for us, yeah. for our standards, the way that we have played on both ends of the floor. And I think you're going to see now a shift. Um, They've got to play cleaner basketball, but I think it's got to matter more, to your point. And it hasn't quite kicked in yet. Uh, And and I think you're going to see that happen pretty soon. This team definitely has enough talent to repeat. Hey, Tim,
1: really quick before we let you go, 30 seconds or less, we would be contractually obligated to ask you about the two train wrecks. Who's worse off right now, the Nets (laughs) or Lakers?
0: (laughs) Oh, my goodness. Um, I would probably say... I would probably say the Lakers. I think the ceiling for the Lakers, no matter what, even if LeBron and A D stay healthy and Russell Westbrook stays healthy and they keep this roster intact as is, I think their absolute ceiling is a nine seed.
1: Right. They mm. might be
0: a ten seed at yeah. best. So so for me, I look at the Nets and say, you know, they I they got a lot of stuff to clean up and they gotta figure out their coaching situation. They gotta they gotta get Kyrie back on the court and put this drama behind them and move forward to start playing and then get their shooters back. Joe Harris, get into a rhythm. Seth Curry's got to come back. And then I think the Nets are still good enough to get into the top five in the East. But the Lakers, their roster, even healthy, is not good enough to be more than nine.
2: Yeah. Follow them on Twitter, at Legs ESPN. Legs, we always appreciate you. Thanks for hanging out with us. My pleasure. Talk to you guys soon. Tim Legler, ESPN NBA analyst. ESPN Radio is presented by Progressive Insurance. It's Progressive 10th keys to progress giveaway for veterans this year their goal is to give to gift a vehicle to a recipient small business or nonprofit in every state see more about their annual giveaway at keystoprogress.com all right the college football season has been absolutely wild this year we're going to guide you through some of the action there were massive implications yesterday or saturday we'll tell you what they were next spain and fits on espn radio
0: spain and fits the podcast
2: Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, series XM, Channel 80, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz. Hit us up on the Dr. Pepper Twitter feed, at Sarah Spain, at Jason Fitz. I was drinking a nice cold Dr. Pepper Saturday night, Sarah, as I was watching, diet Dr. Pepper, of course, I'm watching my girlish figure. Uh, as I was watching college football, and by the way, for anybody that has enjoyed consuming my weekly chalk article on Tuesdays, thank you. It is now a live article that goes throughout the course of the Whoa. entire weekend with game Whoa. updates as the action happens. Uh, so Wait, thanks to so everybody. You are
1: writing an NFL betting article and a college football chalk article
2: yeah so i've got the wow, basically look at you. once we hit thursday night i'm writing on chalk about all of the games that happen in football all the way through the last game on sunday wow. night it is it you know it, it it, yeah kudos to the editors on that by the way because i can't be writing where the damn that late at night like there's no way and <laughs> that late uh, you at know night. it's gonna i
1: like that yeah, i it, like that you had to put that on the end of the <laughs>
2: That's, that's fair. Uh, no one ever asked me to be a professional writer. They just asked me to write in my voice, which means the misspellings have got Perfect. to be just like atrocious. Uh, the misspellings <laughs> aren't as bad as what Tennessee put on the field against Georgia. Uh, I could not have been more wrong. I, I will throw my hand in the air, get ahead of everybody, and say I thought Tennessee would cover. I thought Tennessee had a shot at winning that game. I thought the biggest uh, matchup difficulty would be Georgia couldn't disrupt the quarterback and Hendon Hooker would tear him apart. Instead, we got a reminder that like I, I think swagger matters sometimes Sarah and like Georgia just ever since they won the national championship they have a level of like yeah we can do this that they didn't have before and boy do they have it against Tennessee and Tennessee just couldn't step get out of their own way they kept stepping on themselves well that's
1: what I wanted to ask you is do you actually think that Georgia is as much of a better team as that score showed or was a lot of this Who showed up and what they look like in that game with the pressure on?
2: I I think there was a little bit of pressure and then a lot of reminder that Georgia is really well coached defensively. And Hendon Hooker didn't know what to do with the football. Like It's been really wild to watch this year because they've been able to give themselves so many schemes where he can just throw the deep ball. That's the one thing Georgia was not going to give them no matter what. And then all of a sudden, when he had to sit in the pocket and try and figure out what was going to happen, they got just enough disruption. I think Georgia had a better game plan, better execution. If they played that same game 10 times, I think Georgia wins seven or eight of them. They were clearly the better football team, which I was wrong about.
1: Are they your number one now, no matter what?
2: Yeah, if I I were on the committee, I would have Georgia number one. And this is where it gets tough, though, because we get the rankings tomorrow, Sarah, and like— Ohio State has looked bad two weeks in a row. Mm-hmm. Michigan was in a tight game until it wasn't tight anymore, right? So you, you we walked into this weekend. This was the, the wild betting nugget that I think everybody can relate to. There were only six teams in all of college football that had better than 40-1 to 1 odds to win the national championship, which are good odds, so only six teams had really good odds. One of them was Tennessee, one of them was Alabama, and one of them was Clemson. All three of them lost. Yep. So there are only now three teams, Michigan, Ohio State, and Georgia, that most bettors believe have any shot at the national championship. It's weird to try and figure out who the top four are.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think you're right. But ultimately, we do this every year, right? What's the committee actually looking at? Are they looking at the first half of Michigan? Or are they looking at 52-17? Right,
2: right. Are they right.
1: looking at ohio state and saying you should be beating the brakes off northwestern or are they saying as long as they beat the brakes off the good teams that are on their schedule that's what matters they're allowed to have a week off against you know a not great northwestern team that that's you know every time we try to pin them down on when is it the eye test what is it the stats when is it the the advanced statistics like it's hard it's hard to figure that out and we're going to learn probably a bit about that at least for one week when we see the when we see the rankings this week,
2: so there are a million reasons why I'm not on the college football playoff committee. But one of those million reasons, Sarah, I think you can appreciate that as much as we've worked together. I. I can't say this for certain. I just feel like when they're sitting in the committee room and they're arguing and people are yelling at each other about whether Ohio State is better than Michigan or vice versa, somebody in the room has to stand up at some point and be like, hey, y'all, they're about to play soon, so
1: who cares? (laughs) Just
2: put one of them somewhere, one of them the other. They probably do, Fitz.
1: They go, guess (laughs) let's try to figure out which one's going to make people like Fitz more angry and get the gas bags all riled up because that's what we want is interest and divisiveness in our rankings report leading up to the final one which is the only one that matters because all this is is content
2: and, and uh, by the way we'll just mute this for don't tell the bosses we said this for a second <laughs> of course not but
1: i, I of course jobs like, jobs depend on this look yeah
2: i mean the number of college football shows i host and i love and you know i love the chaos of it but i i honestly just if i could give any message to all the college football fans is my christmas gift to all the kids in the world to all the children in the world <laughs> i would give them a very simple one which is like hey y'all don't worry about it, because every single year college football sort of takes care of itself. Over the course right. of the next mm-hmm. few years, uh, of next few weeks, a team like TCU is probably going to lose somewhere, and if they don't, then they'll get in like Cincinnati did last year. And it, you know, every one of these met oh is it going to be this team? We mm-hmm. spent the whole break sitting here. I was talking to Chris the whole time during our break about what the committee's going to do. Who cares? Like college football is going to take care of college football, and by the end of it, it's all going to be very easy to see who the top four are.
1: That's a nice wish for all the children of the world yes. to get together and sing about college football. If I had two wishes, that one would be encompassing power. I forget the children. So for we'll every never, will woman. We'll being never. in the entire universe. <laughs> also, the sex thing. Uh, I need revenge against my enemies. They should die like pigs in hell. And if you guys don't know what we're talking about, uh, we're not going to tell you. I love the fact that that's all
2: I said and you got where I was going. (laughs) My God, like that is that is what I'm talking about. Uh,
1: Sympatico, buddy. (laughs) We'll, uh,
2: we'll let you hear now from Heather Denich, ESPN college football senior writer was on college game day and said this about the college football rankings and what they seem to favor.
1: I'm telling you, the selection committee has a higher bar for teams that don't win their conference championship. I feel like we kind of gloss over this as we talk about this throughout the season. But when that conference championship weekend comes, these guys are sitting in a room together. Those games matter. And if you're not playing on that day, you're praying on that day. So that,
2: <laughs> that makes me like, there's this weird situation. I just said nobody should worry about it. Now I'm doing it. LSU has two losses, but mm-hmm. they are likely going to represent the West in the uh, SEC championship game. If yep. they don't, somebody with two losses will. If that team upsets Georgia, then we're going to have a two loss SEC champion, and we've never seen a two loss team make the playoff. Like, you want to make all of college football fans like scream one way or the other, put a two loss SEC champion in over an undefeated TCU.
1: Yeah. I mean, right now, TCU deserves that fourth spot. Um, but but we know every year there is a team that gets boned by the by the committee going based off um names. phrasing <laughs> 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 um all the children of the world to gather hands um yeah I mean that, and that's that's why though like we say this every year and also this is why we're not getting paid the big bucks to scream at everyone is it all ends up working out in the end there is a there is a loss yet to come and a win yet to come that are gonna shake up everything so every scenario that you're laying out. Uh, it probably isn't going to happen anyway.
2: Yeah, I just want everybody to be mad about it. That's a, uh, you know, and this is what we won't get when we have college football playoff expansion and automatic bids. We won't get to yell about all of this. We'll find something else, though. We're less than 20 minutes away from Monday Night Football, so we'll get you set for kickoff with a couple of experts coming up next. Who's going to win? We'll tell you on Spain and Fits.
0: Spain and Fits, the podcast.